Right now, there's a level of false empathy mm -hmm. that we that we exude as a people, and that means like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, what's going on in your country? Oh, man, that's tough. But if I sit here and talk with you, and you tell me about intimate stories about what's going on in your homeland and how that's affecting you, it becomes a different. I'm invested in a, in a way that's deeper than, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's real, means. genuine human connection, right? Right, it's, it's empathy. Hello and welcome to Immigrantly. I'm your host, Sadia Khan. Today, I have two amazing people in the studio, Nusrat Alam and Jurel. Both are change makers and co-founders of I Am Perspective. I Am Perspective aims to create a united society by fostering empathy, awareness, growth and human connection through open and honest dialogue between different races, genders, sexual orientations, socioeconomic backgrounds and political views in a very open, safe, and non-judgmental space. Nusrat Alam is a second-generation Bengali-American who grew up in Queens, New York. Currently, she is working on her first book, Tin Huts to Palaces, exploring her life and perspective as an American-born, confused desi. Jurel is an international award-winning spoken word artist who has transformed over 15 years of experience into an entrepreneurial career of writing, performing, and teaching poetry. He's won countless poetry slam competitions and has been featured everywhere, from open mic venues and historic venues to high schools and colleges. We will talk to both of them about their organization and their life. I am so excited to have both in my studio today. Welcome, Nusrit and Jorel. Thank you for having us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So, Nusrat, we'll start with you. Before I delve into I Am Perspective, I'm curious to know about your upbringing and how that has shaped your commitment to pursuit of social justice. So I was born in a family that's a little bit different, I think, other immigrant families in terms of the career path that my dad chose. My dad got into politics very early. I think... I was still in elementary school when he was already doing politics, mm. right? So, and I, my mom didn't speak very good English. So I happened to be the one that would follow him to many of his events. And so it was like always, it was, it was just a natural part of life, right? But because of that work, I, you know, my dad is a big inspiration for me, but I was always very exposed to that life. So I always wondered what it would look like for me. Why do you think your dad chose politics as a career? So I think his first, as he likes to tell the story, he does have a book out, Grassroots Politics. And the way that he tells the story is that in high school, he was active in his school politics. And this was back in Bangladesh? This was back in Bangladesh. And so I think this is something that he was always interested in. And so... And the reason why I'm asking mm -hmm. this is because many South Asians don't, don't involve themselves in politics. In fact, they try to stay away or steer clear of any politics and they just focus on nine to five job or whatever they're doing. So in that sense, I'm sure your dad uh, was uh, not the norm. Like what, No, what definitely did. not. No, we were the only ones. I was telling Jarrell that... In Bengali community, right, there's different societies based on your profession, which part of Bangladesh you're from. And we 
didn't belong to any of those professions. <laughs> like, oh, well, I guess we're here by ourselves, me and my sisters. So you yeah. followed your dad very closely, his mm-hmm. career. What were some of the challenges, in your opinion, that your dad faced, and has the political landscape changed now and become more like conducive to a diverse group of people joining politics? I think they're more mindful of who the voting power is. So when my dad first ran for office. He did win his school board office, but he ran for state senate against the Republican incumbent of like 20-something years. Mm. At that time, even though it was a primarily Democratic community, people didn't actually, like the Democratic Party didn't want to support him. They didn't want to support a Democratic candidate because they didn't think one could win. So he had to take that on himself to like First of all, mobilize the Bengali community to vote. I think he was actually a big part of that. And then also, he won 42% of the vote without the Democratic Party. Which is wonderful, right? right? And that was just a showcase of, like, even if they're not going to accept us, we're going to have to make a stand and make ourselves known, right? And so what happens now afterwards? Now, my dad's not involved in politics for a very long time. He's retired. But every election season, they call him up because they know that he has the votes, hmm. right? And he can bring them in, so... Jurel, let's bring you into yes. the conversation. <laughs> You've been waiting I very patiently. Listening. So you grew up in Queens as well. Yes, born and raised in Queens. How was your experience similar or different than uh, Nusrat's experience growing up? Well, we come from different backgrounds and cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, Nasi is a Bengali Muslim. I'm black American. So whereas we grew up in different realms of the world. We grew up in Queens, which we call the galaxy, <laughs> the galaxy <laughs> of Queens. If if you know about Queens or been raised there, we have every culture and people there. I grew up in Jamaica, Queens, where it was mostly Caribbean and black and African. So it was, as a black American, saying my mom and my dad are black, like it was, it was interesting just meeting other black people who weren't black, you know, who had different tongues and languages and we didn't know about everybody we just all living together so did you guys see color any differently because you were growing you grew up in a community that is so diverse did you feel more similar than different growing up well personally for me i i felt similar growing up up until a certain age mm. because of the communities that i was specifically raised in I knew there was a difference. I was very clear that there was a difference, but it wasn't something that was in the way. Um, my parents never prohibited me from hanging out with anyone or speaking to anyone. So it was there, but it wasn't. Like, I remember there was a Desi club in high school, mm-hmm. and the Desi club had people of all different backgrounds just because they wanted to wear that kind of clothing. It didn't really have anything to do with if they were Desi or not, right? I don't think we—I don't know what we did, actually, in that club, but— I think 9-11 was really a pivotal point of really like, okay, now, oh, there is a difference. Mm. So for me, up until then, there wasn't until, unless I was in certain spaces. In the politics world, there was. but Then you could see the difference. Are you talking specifically about how attitudes changed towards Muslims? Yeah, mm. right. And so there were kids who normally there were never any problems until, you know, 9-11, then all of a sudden there's certain words that come out of people's mouths, right? So they're like, oh, okay, that's how you really feel. That's interesting. Mm. <laughs> right? so. My experience has always been, uh, growing up in Queens, I felt the same. It's like 
I knew everyone was different. All my best friends were Caribbean. So, like, we were all black kids mm. until I go into their household. And I'm like, oh, man, it smells different in here. Your, <laughs> your, your parents sound different, you know. It was really a remedial understanding being born and raised here of, like, oh, you guys, from a, you guys are from different countries. You have different backgrounds. So outside of us playing and growing up, especially the schools, not to mention our high school, all of the schools even on my side of town, we're like really integrated with a lot of different cultures and we're kids, you know, so junior high school, high school, even up into that, we're all just kids trying to have fun. I didn't really feel that division. Now there were parts of Queens and especially just being black, like my experiences before 9-11, mm-hmm. after 9-11, it's always been the same. The same. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's always been that, you know, even in Queens, just specific neighborhoods where you go and they, right. they'll they look at you, they'll call you names and all that kind of stuff. So, And we talk about racism against people of color. Mm-hmm. We, we do that a lot. But to be honest, in all fairness, there is a lot of racism within, you know, different communities of color as well. And I've heard about it. I have even seen it in our own communities. How much was that part of different communities living in Queens? It was very... See, now we'll we'll paint a wonderful picture of Queens because we're from Queens. And it really was beautiful because you could go to these different neighborhoods and experience it. But... And, you know, I'd be a lying to say there was intention if you went into certain neighborhoods. It wasn't maybe like when my parents were there and they're just running you out of the neighborhood like that. Some neighborhoods maybe, but you could always feel it. If you go to certain neighborhoods and you're not there for the right reason, maybe you're just going to grab some food, that's fine. But you could feel the the difference. What kind of difference are we talking about? So for me, the racism maybe would show up isn't just the way like people look at you a little bit differently, right? Huh. Or even um, something that I think you mentioned to me one time is like even in handing back money or change, right? Like, are they going to like kind of just put it on the counter and like throw it at you or are they going to hand it to you in your hands? Hmm. For me, the way that I experienced racism was not so much in your face, but in words and communities in terms of like, don't marry outside of your race or mm-hmm. don't hang out or, you know, with these people or that people. And I'm not saying that was necessarily in my family, but those are the things that you would hear in the community. Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah that's so. that's very much part mm-hmm. of um, Muslim community and even other communities. Jorel, did you see that as part of your community? <laughs> I'm to put my mom on blast, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> my mom was like, hey, don't bring any white girls home, you know, to be very yeah. honest about it. But she's evolved, and I can say that about her now. But it wasn't from, it, it's easy to look at that and be like, oh, my mom was racist. But What led to that evolution? Is there a reason why you think she has evolved now? Um, I think where it came from in the beginning mm-hmm. is protection. Mm-hmm. It's like our experience with quote-unquote white people hasn't been great. And it's always been, it's not, oh, I hate white people, don't bring a white woman home. It's like, you be careful with the people you associate with and you could fall in love with whoever. She was also like, hey, man, be careful if you bring a Muslim woman home. Mm. It wasn't like, I hate Muslims, but it's how do they treat you? You know, exactly. how, how have you experienced them treating you? And it's been more so, at the beginning, protection. Mm-hmm. And if you ask where the evolution comes from is in time, you see people evolve, you see relationships change, you see the other side make efforts to be like, okay, well, it's not like my mom grew up, 
you know. Yeah. Uh, and she lives in Queens too, so she's exposed to people of all different backgrounds. So mm-hmm. as you are exposed to people of different backgrounds, you're going to change your mind about how that looks, right? Like, Do you think it's exposure on surface versus having that interaction which changes minds and hearts? Because I feel like mm-hmm. we've all been in situations, we've, we've been exposed to different cultures right. and races and ethnicities, but it's when we sit down with them and have those human connections. Genuine human connections. Gen- yeah. Genuine human connections. That's when it changes, right? Yeah, for sure. For and we sure. don't have them as much and that's a great segue into your organization <laughs> I am perspective so why don't you guys tell me a little bit about the organization and how did you decide to partner with each other well I am perspective is a dialogue series that Nussie and I created where we're having one-on-one conversations with the point of perspective and empathy mm-hmm. we really want to gain we want to seek empathy amongst humanity amongst people we we're interested in the word perspective, clearly, because it's in our name, Iron Perspective. And what we understood is that how do we gain empathy? Mm-hmm. Right now, there's a level of false empathy mm-hmm. that we that we exude as a people. Uh, and that means like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, what's going on in your country? Oh, man, that's tough. But if I sit here and talk with you and you tell me about intimate stories about what's going on in your homeland and how that's affecting you, it becomes a different, I'm invested in a, in a way that's deeper than, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's real, genuine human connection, right? Right. It's it's empathy. Yeah. And we recognize how to get to that place is like we really have to change, not change, we don't like to say that, but we like to offer different perspectives. The only way I'm going to truly empathize with with you and where you're from is for me to gain a bit of your perspective. And you asked why we started this or how we started this. So Jarrell and I have been friends for 20 years now growing up in Queens, New York, right? I think for us, it was always very natural. Like, even though there's some differences, it's more so in, like, I'm shorter. He's taller, right? (laughs) (laughs) That is a major bias. Um, I I like to do things really fast. He's a little slower. Like, you know, things like that, right? But in terms of... That's a judgment, (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of, like, who we are as people, like, we can sit and talk for hours, right? And so we're having all these conversations about why it matters for me to be involved in Black Lives Matters or for him to be involved in what matters to me, right? And so having all these conversations and, like, just understanding, we're like, how do we, like, open this up to other people? Mm. Because we're both natural conversationalists and we, I think, naturally open up these conversations. And so we're like, all right, let's do this. And we we didn't really know what we were doing in the beginning, but we just kind of just jumped in. What were some of the challenges that Mm -hmm. you faced during, like, the creation Mm -hmm. of the organization and how you're moving forward? And um, who has been your allies in this process so far? Uh, Challenges were just figuring out exactly what we're doing, Mm -hmm. what it is we stand for because it did come out so organically from a conversation with a close friend with several conversations to okay what are we going to do about it mm-hmm. what can we do um maybe a couple more hey we should have some conversations okay cool where um how you know so the challenge was really creating a structure from this now that it's all said and done it seems re- really simple okay mm-hmm. two people are curating a room full of people talking but 
we didn't have any, there wasn't anything to go by from that. Yeah. For me, uh, personal problems as a Bengali Muslim woman who did not necessarily want to be in the public speaking, because as you're speaking about perspective, you're also sharing intimate and vulnerable things, right? And so how that would be received by the community. I think I was less fearful about the American community yeah. and more feel fearful about the actual, like, they see in the Muslim community and how that would be received, right? So even now, like, we're trying to bring all different types of people into the conversation, and we realize where there's some, you know, cultures and some communities there might be more resistance to. So, so where do you see the friction in terms of bringing those communities into fold and talking to them about, like, a different perspective? Mm-hmm. What are some of the communities that are more resistant to this idea? I personally think all communities. It it would be foolish (laughs) to be like, well, the Muslim community and the Jewish community. I think all of us have reservations of conversation. Mm -hmm. That's a thing that Nussie and I recognize talking amongst each other. I'm black American. Now, you talk amongst black people, we'll always talk about, oh, man, our families don't talk about anything. You know, Uh my grandmother didn't talk about money and my mom. But then I talked to... Uh, Nussi or we'll talk to somebody from Colombia or Venezuela or Haiti and it's the same thing you know we're talking about cultures who are not really maybe more open than some but there's a lot of conversations that all of us aren't having. So have you had instances where you had to really work hard to help them actually talk about stuff? No right I think as someone, when someone decides to walk into one of our rooms, they're actually committed to being open, right? So one of our ground rules is to be open, but then we also make that statement right after. But we also realize that you're here today, so you have to be some level of open, right? Because you're not going to come into an event about sharing perspectives and learning about new people if there's not some part of you that wants to know more, is open to learning more, right? So I think that itself weeds out the people who don't want to. We, we, we know this is not for everybody. I was at one of your events, mm-hmm. um, and it was a wonderful event. My only question that I was struggling with mm-hmm. was that when we have events like I Am Perspective, panel discussions and events, how are we reaching out to people who have completely different perspectives, who, mm-hmm. for instance, even on political spectrum, who are extremely conservative and who hate people? I don't want to use the word hate, but right. strongly dislike people of color, mm-hmm. let's say. How do you bring them in and have a conversation and engage them? Because when I was at the, that event, I didn't see that. I saw people who were more like me. Right. Um, in terms of their um, thinking, their value system, their political affiliation. So, and I have this concern about my podcast sometimes as well that I don't want it to be an echo chamber for like same ideas and same discussions that we have. How do we break away from that or bring in those communities? And do you think they will even be interested? I personally don't think that we need to break away from anything for our platform, for your platform. The state of the world right now is we need to be having as many conversations as possible. I don't care if it's echoing, if we're talking about the same things, because in in the event that you came to, whereas what you're saying is there are people who have your ideals and political ideals, but in that room, they still get to hear your story like Mm. they've never heard. So it's not so much an echo chamber as, okay, now you have people who've come here because they wanted to hear, but then they walk out with a new perspective Mm. because they heard something from you. 
we can't get people to the table if they don't want to talk, you know. Yeah. We're opening our space to everyone. It's been that way since the beginning. And we're going our, out of our way to mm-hmm. create new programs, to create specific topics that will intrigue and invite new people out. We're going into different communities. We're aligning with people who are outside of our political structure and everything. Mm-hmm. We have no problem with talking to the other side, if there is an other side. The, no, there is another side. We've had... Um, We've had people at our events that some events have been a little bit more, there have been more disagreements, right? I think the immigrant panel event that you were at, I think everyone in the room has has some form of immigration in their background. So maybe they had like a shared commonality. But we've had some interesting conversations. And I think what we're looking to really do is create safe spaces so that at some point, Someone who has a very differing, opposing viewpoint can walk into the space and feel comfortable enough expressing that, right? Because it takes a different kind of courage to come into a space when you're like, oh, immigrants, I don't like you, but I'm going to walk into your space right now and tell you how I don't like you while I'm sitting next to you. So there's a different level in that you know, we'll get there as we get there, right? Yeah, that, that's really the case. Like, we'll get there, but the spaces have to be created until mm-hmm. we get there. And then, so when we do get to the place where the other side the other wants side. to walk in, yeah. we vote. The space is already there for them. It's safe. It's for anybody. So, mm-hmm. so Jurel, I want to talk about your spoken word. You are a spoken word artist as yes, well. Yeah. Um, how is that experience any different or similar to what you're doing with I Am Perspective? Well, spoken word is, for me, it's like the report, you know, Hmm. like I'm a news reporter to my culture, to what I see in my life, to the life around me, to America, all of these cities that I've been in. And it is my personal expression that I get to do whatever with. Can you share something with us? (laughs) (laughs) I'm putting you on the spot right now. Um, I what can I say? I love I love hard. I love fast. I hate present because I love past. In love with the memories, in love with the fantasies. I'm in love with my daydreams. Reality hampers me. I love living in the clouds. My life is like cross colors. I love living out loud, but my spirit stays mute. I mean, we could go on it. (laughs) (laughs) This is so nice. Yeah, but uh, in poetry form, like, that's... Even in that poem, you know, it starts off in a self reflective way of I love you know I love hard I love fast but that's a relative is it a love poem or is it just how I live life Mm. you know it can be abstract and I am perspective we and we were talking about this recently is really an art to what we do because we have to create this space Mm. to have these conversations that we want to talk about but then not talk about them (laughs) yeah you know we really have to allow the space for people because we have opinions, we have strong opinions about things. If we do, then the next event that we have, one of the next event is the Haitian perspective um, to a specific group of people. Mm. This is open to everyone. You know, we Neither love, one of us are Haitian. Neither one of us are Haitian. We'd love to have as many Haitian people there, but we'd love to have everybody there. Mm. And when we get in front of that room, we know that we're creating the space for the people. Mm. I can't really sit up there. Nussie can't sit up there and give her opinion. And spoken word and poetry, that's all it is. It's my opinion, how mm-hmm. I feel. This is what I see. Iron perspective, we kind of have to play this more stoic. Okay. <laughs> neutral role. And Nusrit, you are working on your book, 
your first book, right? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? And I really like the title of it. Is there a story behind that title? So Tin Huts of Palaces, that's the title mm. of the book I'm working on. It's really, so I've been writing for a very long time. And it started off, I actually had a blog, ABCD Files. And the blog was based on American-born Confused Stacy, right? So, you know, I started the blog and really, I think, it didn't call to me as much. Really, my what I was going for is kind of like a chicken soup for the soul, right? Like a bunch of stories throughout my life because I think I have a very special, unique life with a lot of different perspectives mm-hmm. that I've gained because of all the different spaces that I've been in, which takes me back to the title of the story, Tin Huts to Palaces. I've stayed in palaces, right? But I've also stayed in tin huts going back to Bangladesh and just the stark difference in perspective of having to like go outside and use a bathroom in an outhouse with like mud floors and that and then coming and then like, you know, being in America and then like getting to stay in fancy places like what that, you know, offers. When is the book being published? (laughs) <laughs> That's a good is there question. a date that's a good question um 2020 2020 <laughs> i'm gonna say april before my birthday on oh april. that's so exciting yeah. so talking about 2020 mm-hmm. are you guys big on resolutions new year's resolutions any no any we're resolutions? big on plans and executions <laughs> <laughs> uh by 20 uh the new year we already had half of the year planned out you know, so the resolution, if anything, is just to work harder and dig in mm-hmm. and really go for a, we started this again as just an idea. And now we're seeing that this is necessary. Mm. It's beautiful to see an idea come to fl- fruition and then also be like, OK, this is actually necessary. So if there was a resolution, it's just to plan, take the plans that we already have and execute them. Dream bigger. Have fun, you know. It's like the third year. Really, we're going into fun now. Like, we... <laughs> but this is the election year. I don't know how much fun we can have with that. There's a lot of stuff happening in the world right now. I don't exactly. Know. <laughs> I was like, I was thinking about that yesterday as I was prepping for this interview, and I was like, oh my god, where do we start? Like, it's what January sixth, and there's so much that has already happened. Every conversation that we begin, we realize there's so many other conversations mm-hmm. to have happen and what we're really looking to do is create a movement right at some point this is going to get bigger than Jarrell and I where we're not going to be able to facilitate every conversation we are looking to build our team we are looking for other people who have um similar like a similar vision to what we have what we want to do one of the biggest things about I am perspective is that we're not looking to push our agenda on anyone Mm -hmm. right so we have we cover so many different topics And I think why people feel comfortable coming to our events is like even at an immigrant perspective panel, right? I believe in immigration. I believe immigrants should have all rights. But I also have to be able to create that space for people who don't necessarily believe in it, Mm -hmm. who believe there should be restrictions, right? And so what that really looks like, right? Finding people who are willing to step into that space. I don't think people realize how hard it is to stand in front of the room and hear people who have different opinions and then still be able to like respect their opinions and like, 
you know, hold that kind of ground. So so in terms of mm-hmm. 2020 elections, I just want to talk a little bit more about okay. that. How do you see immigrant con- constituents and people of color um, as a strong voting bloc? Um, and do you think that they will in some form or shape influence the 2020 election more than previous years? I would hope that communities of color really step out during this election time, not just, you know, for the national election that's at stake, but there's a lot of community local elections as well. And, you know, there are people stepping up and running for offices that in numbers that have never been seen before. Right. So really supporting on all levels. Right. I think um, a personal perspective of mine. Right. When Obama became president, People, I think, had this idea that it was going to change everything. Did it? But one man on top can't do it alone if the people on the bottom are not there to help him, right? So if all the, you know, the House of Representatives are filled with a certain kind of people, how are they going to pass those laws that we want to pass or keep those laws, right? So you got to fill it up with the people that we want in there. So it's not just one person. Yeah, but I think in terms of Obama being elected Mm -hmm. and there was so much hope and change that people were expecting. I was personally disappointed in many things that Obama did. Now, there are things, obviously, what we have right now is much worse. But I wasn't as, I just, I felt that there was so much that he could have done and he didn't. Even his first term when he had Congress on Mm -hmm. his side, he didn't. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think? He could have done more. He could have definitely, you know, had made some improvements, right? But he's also, this is the first time he was president, so how would he have known everything, right? But I do think, even in saying that having Congress on your side, what does that really mean, right? Just because it was more Democrats than Republican, that does not mean that their beliefs swayed a certain type of way. Yeah, but Nusrat, if you look at some Mm -hmm. of the things, especially in in the foreign policy realm Mm -hmm. and even at home that he executed, for instance, he was, his administration was the one that really perfected the the art of drone warfare. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing consequences of it now. In America, we tend to make people into heroes and villains. Based on that, we, we idolize some and we demonize others. But some of the stuff that Trump administration is doing is an extension oh, of yeah. Obama administration, including what's happening at the border. So for me, now this is an extreme form of what is happening at yeah. the border, but it was initiated during his time. So for me, I I sometimes feel that we give him too much credit in terms of implementation of human rights and being more just. Uh, when we look at his record, it, mm. it wasn't as just and as, yeah. he wasn't as liberal or as... No, he is not. He wasn't. He mm. isn't, right? I think that... <laughs> you have right. a different oh, perspective. Man, I have <laughs> a major perspective. So much to say. But in a short span, I feel like... Um, it's not the president that's liberal. Mm-hmm. The president represents the country. Mm-hmm. He represents the government, right? And if we look at Obama, because I feel the same way and mm-hmm. I voted for Obama and mm-hmm. I felt terrible about him and I felt all the ways, but coming from like this ego rock approach, right? This is what I would say about black people, mm-hmm. and especially being on a, a podcast like this, immigrantly. Like, whereas I'm not an immigrant, I feel connected to immigrants. What I 
I think black people have recognized we've been here for a long time. Mm. You know, like my great-grandparents were, well, my great-grandparents were sharecroppers. My great-great-grandparents were slaves, mm. right? And we're, we're seeing what this country has always been this way. So if you're saying Ob- uh, Trump is a little leak from Obama, Obama was a leak from Bush, Bush was a leak from Clinton. Like, so this is how it goes. And it goes that way until the people say otherwise this is the democracy part about it it is voting but it's not just okay we're voting for this it's going to take a collection of steps for all of us to say no this is not what we're accepting anymore Mm -hmm. and that's happening from an older standpoint i'm young but like (laughs) from a like hey this is this is a lot of progression you know if you're saying from a first generational immigrant or second generational immigrant then you've had maybe 15 30 years experience of this country this seems like yo this is a slow process uh, if we talk about the LGBTQ community, we, Nussie and I were just saying, like, when we were kids in the 90s, mm. uh, there was no open LGBT, all of this. Like, mm. this has happened very it, rapidly. It was a, it would kill your whole career yeah. if there was even a— And within yeah. our lifetime, and yeah. we're very young, we've mm-hmm. seen that whole thing change. We've seen gay marriages go across the— you know, and all that to say that there's a lot of change happening. Mm-hmm. We have Muslim women with hijabs on in Congress. Like, yeah. that's outrageous to think about in this country. It shouldn't be. But to see the progress that we're having, we're having women of color having actual political platforms. I'm 36. That never happened in my life. But you know? that activism was the result of Trump being elected, if there is any upside to his presidency. I think it's how people were just shaken up. It was like something that jolted everyone. People needed to be woken up, right? Because as Jarrell just mentioned about people giving the power, and for so long I think that people were just blindly giving the power, and that's why we are in the mess that Mm -hmm. we are in. Because I remember during 2016 and... I was saying very early on, Trump is going to win, right? Because I'm over here watching and I'm like, no, all the odds are in his favor, right? Because people get too comfortable, right? They don't want to vote. We have these voting powers that people of color have not been using Mm -hmm. because they think, oh, they got it. Or even in New York, right, specifically, oh, he's not going to win in New York anyway, so I don't have to go out, not realizing that, that number can make such a huge difference. It made a difference for my dad, right? So, like, yes, I think it's a good thing. We always say how it's a good thing that now more people are awake. But I think that this has been happening for a very long time. I think now people feel more more emboldened to do something about it. Maybe they've always wanted to, myself included, right? Like, I wasn't always sure that I wanted to get into politics where people wanted me, maybe it'll naturally follow. But... What is it that I could do specifically so that, you know. And you're absolutely right about how we've all created these different spaces. Because Mm -hmm. when I started immigrantly, it started off as a platform where I would invite first generation immigrants or second generation kids of immigrants. Mm -hmm. And I always make sure that I make that distinction because people somehow confuse kids of immigrants with being immigrants, which Mm -hmm. is not true. But now when I look at immigrantly, it has grown into this space 
for discussions around race and culture and identity, irrespective of mm-hmm. how many generations you've been here in the United States. So it's moved beyond that. And to your point, Jarell, about how America has always been like this, I am working on this mini-sode for my podcast um, where I am trying to trace the history of America's immigration policy in the context of family separation. And I'm an immigrant, so I did not grow up here. I did not go to school here. So my knowledge of American history is very limited. Mm -hmm. And what I unraveled, like what was unraveled to me during that process, I was shocked from slave trade to uh, what was happening to Native Americans and how family separation has been part of America's history for Mm -hmm. so long. And we talk about it now as if this is not who we are. This is what America has been for so long. But black people will say, you know, when we refer to slavery, it seems like this is just our story. Like, oh, you know, that happened so many years ago. But we're talking about the foundation of America. Mm -hmm. So what you just finding out, when I when I hear about them separating families, and this goes back to perspective, right? Mm -hmm. And I I told this to a Latino woman recently. She was a conservative and she was trying to why why is perspective important? And I said, you care about the families in the border, right? And what's going on there. Now, this has been happening for generations. Mm. If I say my great-great-grandfather were slaves, we're talking about that means separation of families. Mm -hmm. The same thing that's happening now. Now, if we don't have people who care about that for black people, what would make black people care about that in in return? And and I'm not saying that's right. We're just we can't talk about freedom for immigrants for ourselves or you know families of immigrants if we can't talk about freedom for black people in this country. Yeah. Right? And it's not exclusive to mm-hmm. us. I'm, I'm saying that because we're representing yeah. who we are, but we recognize with the work that we're doing, this has to be afforded both ways. Mm-hmm. No, the people, and that's this incident. Black people, Jews, whoever, they're not going to care about that unless there's a reciprocation. As long as there's one group not experiencing freedom, we're all not experiencing freedom. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So in the end, if you guys were to describe America in a word or a phrase, how would you do that? And we'll start with Jorel. Evolving. Hmm. Growing. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're doing, you know, I don't know, you said just in a phrase, but evolving and what I mean behind that to what you're saying. When you said elections are coming this year and there's like this fret, like it's been worse. They put people in concentration camps in this country. They rounded people up and sent people home. And not to say that it won't get to that, but where we're at now, look at where we're at at this table, Mm -hmm. you know. And thank you for building what you built Mm -hmm. because when it does get chaotic, if it does, we'll have spaces like this. Mm -hmm. We are bigger than whatever is coming our way. That's what I believe. I think awake Mm -hmm. is a word that I would use because for so long everyone has been asleep. And you see now in the various different ways that people are showing up, right, whether they're running for elections, they're creating podcasts, they're having conversations. I think people are realizing one way or another, we're going to have to pick some sort of topic that affects us, whether it's war, whether it's global warming, something like there's no actually like sitting down and not doing something anymore. I think everyone has a role to play. Or, you know, they could sit down and let it happen, like, you know, but... (laughs) Where can we find information about I Am Perspective? You can go on our website, www.iamperspective.com, or you can follow us on Instagram, at i.amperspective, and also our radio Instagram, which is at iap.radio. Thank you so much, both of you. This was wonderful. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. 
And thank you everyone for taking the time out to listen, give us feedback. And if you like what you hear, please share. We have a GoFundMe. Details are on website and social media and also in the description. Until next time, when we bring another inspiring story. And in the meantime, stay connected.